Hey everyone, I want to talk to you a little bit about Visible. Visible isn't just great, straightforward wireless service for a great, straightforward, all-in cost. It's powered by Verizon. It's also a wireless service that gets better with friends. Now you can get Visible's unlimited wireless service for $5 a month when you bring a friend. Bring 12 friends and get 12 months for just $60. Powered by Verizon, all for as low as $25 a month and no hidden fees. Bring one friend every month and get every month for $5. Hey everyone, welcome to Superwomen. I'm your host, Rebecca Minkoff. Today's guest is Minjay Ormez, the CMO of Visible, named one of Fast Company's most innovative companies in the world. It's the first all digital wireless carrier in the US. And I'm so excited to have you because you have such an incredible career. I'd love to start at the beginning with, you know, when you went into the track of media marketing, what interested you in taking that leap? Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Rebecca. I started out as a marketer because I ultimately love stories. I went to film school at NYU <laughs> and I thought I'd be a producer someday. And just having having been able to have the chance to get really deep into the craft of movie making and, and the film theory and talking about really esoteric visual theory and, and international cinema, it taught me how to think and write really well. And, and from that experience, I started to think about, well, what could I do with this that is in the business world instead of perhaps me staying in the academia? And that's how I first got into my first marketing job on the agency side. So I, I couldn't have really predicted the career path that I've had. But it's, it's really that's where it started from um, being in school at NYU studying movies. <laughs> Well, I love that there's a through line there of studying movies as a storyteller. And as a CMO, you have to be an excellent storyteller. Clearly, you're taking that storytelling and putting it to use. I feel like today, and especially for my listeners who are either thinking about starting businesses or mm. already have a business, and it can seem overwhelming when it comes to marketing, because mm -hmm. either whether it's costs or how do I even begin to reach people? What would you say has been some of your secret sauce? The part about marketing and, and for my personal journey, and it at least started from a place where I was working with no money. <laughs> so in the agency tenure, um, although we were working on behalf of a lot of the big Hollywood studios and TV networks and film festivals, the craft that, you know, my team and I were in charge of was at the time, you know, social media, like the MySpace and Friendster and the early days of um, how people are forming communities on online to what we now call influencer marketing. So how do you reach out to somebody who has a platform and a voice to ultimately connect with their communities and put your brand and product out there? So in, in some ways, you know, having started my career there taught me how to think about thinking about that connection point first and foremost uh, without a lot of dollars. And that still very much lives through how I think about marketing in my current role at Visible or the previous job that I had at YouTube, where it, it really starts and ends with that that story again uh, of what why people should care about the thing that I'm telling you, because there are so many stimulants out there, so many messages out there. 
there. So can I actually make a connection in a way that will pull you in instead of me pushing the messages out? And so for for me, the the journey of having been able to figure out something without a ton of money to be able to buy my way into things, I think really helped me think about what really matters uh, when it comes to how you show up as a brand and a product and ultimately for people to care about that. One thing I would dare say is no matter what money or not, you still have to be creative because now you obviously have a way bigger budget, but that doesn't mean, you know, you still have to be extraordinarily creative today to be able to get people talking about you, people excited about you. There's a ton of brands that produce content that no one cares about. Mm -hmm. I'd love for you to talk about sort of what went into the campaign you did with Dan Levy and Red Rocks. Mm -hmm. Um, and anything you have coming up, like, where do you go? Okay, no one's talking about this or doing it like this. This is our white space. Yeah. So prior to coming to Visible, which, as you said, is the first digital wireless in, in, in the United States, I've never worked in telecommunications industry. And so when my team and I sat around kind of thinking about why do we exist as a business and and why should consumers care about it the the reason became well the the phone service which really is one of the most important things that people rely on in your life doesn't often have a space for for positive or above and beyond its 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 purpose as utility meaning if it works, people don't necessarily think about it more than they should. And if it doesn't work, that's usually the space with negativity, unfortunately, where we take up space in social media and so forth. So when we started Visible as a brand in a new business, it was really important that we give our best to carve out a space somewhere in between where it's extremely negative or it doesn't get talked about at all. But can we actually build a different kind of a relationship with our members? And so therefore, for us to show up exactly as you said, Rebecca, it's not just about the dollars, even though now we do have actually dollars to be able to invest in our marketing campaigns. Every single way in which we show up has to break through and work three times as hard because we are the last to enter the the latest choices of what people can buy in, in telecommunications business. But at the same time, we want to be able to catapult forward to how people think about us, how, how we become one of the options that people consider and ultimately switch to. So a um, couple of the campaigns that you mentioned were inspired by that desire to break through and really stick in people's mind as something that you wouldn't necessarily expect from a brand in this category. So um, our collaboration with Dan, for example, um, it was incredibly special because he is somebody who has such distinct and special personal brand of somebody who cares about other people more than he himself and bring the community with him and often gives platform to a lot of people whose voices are not heard. And we as Visible, the product that is trying to create a service that is affordable for everybody, but without compromising the quality of it, wanted to collaborate with somebody like that to ultimately bring his brand and personality into how we show up. So 
he was not only a person who showed up in, in our campaigns, but he was also the creative mind behind a lot of the ideas that ultimately came to life, including a collaboration that uh, my team and his team did where we kind of played a joke on his best personal asset, um, so to speak, which was his eyebrows. And it became an intersection point for us to tell a story about our product, which was the unlimited data that we offer with our um, wireless service. So in one of the spots that Dan created with us, we basically zoom all the way into his face, like all the way into his brows, and he's kind of in on the joke. But it's playing uh, uh, taking a play on the fact that that's one of his prominent features and and well-known features. And at the same time, it it plays on the pun of unlimited browsing that you can do with our unlimited data. So there was a microsite and a social campaign attached to it. And so it kind of brought this whole experience together in ways that that were speaking a little bit more to who we are as a brand and how we wanted to show up and appeal to people above and beyond the price point and and the experience of it. So I've been, I guess I could say three times to Can Lions where the best of the best in marketing, I would say, go to this decadent, you know, couple of days. And what I was shocked by when I was there was the amount of men and the lack of women and women of color present. And I said, Oh, my gosh, the world is still being marketed to by white men. Mm-hmm. And I'm just curious with your experience, with over two decades of experience, you know, how you've managed to break through glass ceilings, how you've managed to keep thriving in an environment that that is still very much male dominated. I think I come at this with a lot of different angles or, or experience. So we all right just celebrated International Women's Day and and the entire month is dedicated to doing so. And I was just thinking about, you know, do I take the tone of celebrating the accomplishments that we've made so far? Absolutely. But I think in recent years, um, it's it struck me that the progress we've made is there, but it's still too slow and sometimes too fragile. And and for me, you know, I'm fortunate that I am now in a position where both in, in my scope and the influence be able to speak for other people who may not necessarily feel like they have the platform or, or the influence to be able to do so, um, especially a lot of women and, as you said, women of color. Um, but I didn't always feel this way. And, and I attribute the the kind of I, I wouldn't even say success, honestly. I, I would say the the resilience that I've been able to build and hang on and and come this far so far are the people I've had in my life, men and women who saw more in me than I believed in myself at times, opened doors for me at moments that I didn't think that I could do, you know, a bigger jump and really be able to kind of champion me in ways that I didn't think I could do myself. So I am hoping that, you know, in the past few years and here on now that I could do the same for people who may feel like they're not necessarily 
up for the challenge or they feel like they don't have a seat at the table or they belong there. And, and I have to say the community of people that I've had as mentors and bosses and peers and, and advisors have really been instrumental in how I've been able to see myself belong in places that I didn't think that I would be able to get into. So you recently wrote this incredible article on LinkedIn, A Progress Still Too Slow and Far Too Fragile. Mm. Will you talk a little bit about what what made you write that and some, some of what you say in it? Yeah, it took me um, longer than I, I thought I could take in, in how I came to ultimately those words, which was for, again, in, in uh, celebration and and to mark the occasion of International Women's Day. And, you know, I think one of the things that I've been personally exploring and, and being more comfortable with is how I show up with my emotions and experiences attached to it, whether it is DNI conversations or women-specific conversations. And what I didn't want to lose in, in the thread of what I talk about in that was some level of frustration and anger and impatience, which previously, I think, in a lot of those conversations were encouraged implicitly or explicitly to be hidden because we all want to be moving forward positively and productively towards progress, which I cannot disagree, but at the same time to be able to make meaningful and tangible and lasting progress, I do believe that we have to give spaces to tougher conversations, the ones that make all of us feel slightly uncomfortable or really uncomfortable and be able to really hash out the kinds of experiences and perspectives that will bring about ultimately the most productive and meaningful um, solutions. So what I talk about that in article are kind of two prongs on the one hand, to, to acknowledge, yes, the progress that we have made um, as a society and culture and corporations where we do have a lot more women sit, right, sitting in leadership positions all the way to the vice president of our, our country in the United States. But at the same time, even with that, the sometimes I think the belonging that women feel in these seats can be very conditional, not to mention the fact that still there is gender pay gap. And then you look all the way kind of down to more of the everyday necessities that women need in order to be able to succeed and even be able to dream about really achieving and aspiring to some of these bigger, bigger goals they have they are really struggling, especially coming out of the pandemic. We've been seeing, right, a lot of statistics and stories about how much more women have been impacted by the the pandemic and the unemployment rates and how much longer it's going to take to regain ground on some of the losses, not to mention the, the fact that a lot of the policies that have been made in the last four years have been a real assault to women's sexual and rep- reproductive health. So, I know I've said a lot there, um, but really the point that I wanted to kind of uh, make across was we we have made some progress, but there's still so many things that are outstanding and in some ways moving too slowly for me to think about what can can the world actually look meaningfully different for my daughters who are 11 and 6. And and I don't think it's happening fast enough. I don't think it's happening at a pace that is is going to last for the future generations who are now coming up. Yeah. And I think with what you mentioned with 
over 2 million women who have left the workplace. That's going to have generational effect for much longer than when we recover and life goes back to whatever normal looks like. It's going to have, I feel like, generational impact of people that have lost wealth or stay in the poverty line and never get that chance. Yeah, for sure. And and I think a lot of the times, and I have seen some progress around this, unfortunately, sometimes the women's issues are talked about as women's burden to carry alone. So it's like, you need to show up in this way. You got to take these types of trainings. You have to think about X, Y, Z, whereas really the conditions and the environment and the structural support with which women can thrive really take into account both men and women into consideration, such as the paid family leave. And I, that's that's one of the things I have seen a little bit more, I would say, in a lot of the corporate policies and the conversations that are happening. But again, still more to do there. For sure. I was arguing with a family member who feels, <laughs> this is a woman family member, by the way, women mm. who don't make their way, it's their fault. And I was like, excuse mm. me, what? Are you saying that it's equal? Are you saying that a man named John, there are more men named John than in CEO positions than women? Is that just right. by chance? And she was like, well, uh, uh, well, I can see that in business, it's a problem. I was like, yeah, yeah, let's take it a lot further. (laughs) (laughs) I would love to know how your mind works. Where do you find inspiration? How do you stay on the pulse of culture in a world that is moving so fast? Mm, I don't have a magic formula, but I, I will say, Rebecca, I, I kind of, Harken back to the days when I was 13 years old and I had just moved from Korea to Canada, learning new language and learning new culture. You know, the more I kind of think about what drives me and what are the experiences that inform my point of view and how I ultimately find inspiration, it comes a lot from those early days when I had to figure out how do you connect with people when you don't speak their language? What are different ways in which that you could still show people there's somebody in here that doesn't speak English, but but can communicate with you maybe in music or, or math or art. And, and so I think that kind of the deeper desire and almost like a survival instinct to try to connect with people through different things has always left me hungry for what is next and where are the places that people congregate to? What what are they doing there and why is it that they are having different conversations there than perhaps in places that already existed. So that's, I think, something that is more at the core of kind of ultimately what I'm curious about or why I'm curious about things. And then, you know, as you said, as a marketer, especially, um, there is, uh, you know, definitely kind of the desire slash pressure or (laughs) intent to stay up to speed with what is going on out there. So um, I, I try to bring the perspective of one, uh, you know, looking in less obvious places for what may be emerging trends or, or behaviors, because, you know, I think by definition, the emerging trends are just under the radar. So you don't know that it's going to be a hit or, or something that is going to be massively talked about or adopted by a, a big number of people. But it's it's usually kind of like looking a little bit around the corner and under the rocks, I think, to uncover what are the kinds of themes or stories that may come from what may in numbers feel like smaller communities, but really there's deeper passion behind it. So 
for example, right now I'm a little bit obsessed with like checking out all of the different clubhouse conversations and how, what kind of rabbit holes that take me down to. And then, you know, for me, I've been fortunate enough to have always worked at companies, brands and businesses that are striving to continue to win the next generation of consumers, which tends to then translate into the kinds of things that people do that haven't yet been widely adopted, but maybe just on the cusp of new things. So again, like back in the day when I first started my marketing career, it used to be like, how do you figure out MySpace and Friendster and those types of things? And now it's it's evolving in a, in a way that is definitely like breakneck speed. But I'm also trying to be okay with like, staying with what is going on right now and for that to last for some time because it is sometimes hard to appreciate what happens in the moment and be present in it when when there's the desire to kind of always be on the chase for what is next because I think what is next could also come from what used to be old. Yeah. I wonder if you have any advice about, you know, these platforms or places where culture is moving a is happening faster and then it can become overwhelming. Like I was listing out all the platforms I'm on and I'm exhausted after I say it. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, something's got to give because it's going to be my yeah. sanity if not. So do, how do you know when to stay on something or what ROI do you look for mm. um, as a brand? Like, okay, good. We're going to not use YouTube anymore because guess mm-hmm. what? No one cares about my videos or... Mm. You know, like, how do you know when to say that was great? We're good. Yeah, I I think first and foremost, you know, even not just from a marketing standpoint, but as a new business, what has been the biggest challenge has been, frankly, keeping focus. So like, how do you put discipline behind the number of things that you want to tackle at any one given point and try to do them all really well? I mean, which frankly is like the story of my life. Um, But when it comes to marketing channels and the different platforms, so for example, I I had a conversation with my team early on, you know, having come from YouTube myself, you know, people kind of assume like, shouldn't we be on YouTube? Shouldn't we have a video strategy? And what is our content strategy there? And while I would love to, and we're still experimenting a little bit as a brand, I didn't necessarily want to stretch the team to have to do it unless it made sense for us to be there for either because our audiences are already there, or if we had already ideas about a kick-ass content strategy that could stretch from there to other video platforms. But number one thing I stress with the team was let's not just go and start something just because we think other people are expecting us to do it, but we do it when we're ready um, based on what we're seeing in the effectiveness and the insights. So um, some of those decisions, you know, I think were harder because we, again, as marketers who want to be like everywhere at any given moment um, and try to have our hands in everything. But it was really important that we think about the stage of the business and what the role of our marketing strategy was, which frankly, even in the three years that, you know, we've been building this business has evolved um, quite some time. And so now really, you know, I would say even in the past year, a lot of the social platforms and, and their roles have changed and it's not really, um, also always about like how we show up as a brand and how we use it, but it's also where people congregate to already and have natural affinity to. So 
Reddit, for example, is a vibrant community for Visible where members started their own forums on their own to talk about the different ways that they signed up for our, our service to the different ways that they're saving money together. And so those are the kinds of things that are organically and naturally happening that we want to be able to boost and be part of and, and have a have a meaningful conversation with our members around versus trying to force our way into everything just because we think we have to. That's a relief. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I feel the pressure of trying to show up everywhere all the time. And yeah, we're starting to pull back from certain platforms that are just like, you know, what? I don't know if she cares that we're here. So we're going to go somewhere else where she cares. Makes sense. Hey, everyone. It's Rebecca. I want to take a quick break to chat with you about my book, which comes out June 15th, entitled Fearless, The New Rules for Unlocking Creativity, Courage, and Success. I wrote this book for you, my listeners who might be considering different paths, trying to find ways to innovate, in general, seeking a road that maybe hasn't been traveled. So over the last 15 years, I've learned so much. I have failed so much. The one thing that I've consistently done is when I was scared, I did it anyway. So I want to encourage you to buy the book. Please pre-order it. It actually truly helps an author when you pre-order, especially right now with so many stores not ordering inventory and uh, needing pre-orders to ensure the sales. So you can go to Amazon, look for Fearless, Rebecca Minkoff. You can go to Books A Million, which has an incredible list of independent bookstores. Buy the book. And the good news is, is if you buy the book and email me, fearless at rebeccaminkoff.com with your receipt, you get the cost of the book as a credit applied to whatever you buy on my site. So it's a win-win. Buy the book. It's called Fearless unlocking the new rules for creativity, courage, and success. I'd love to discuss, you know, I I know obviously you're passionate about this subject and there's just been a lot more rise to conversations about Mm -hmm. the unfortunate targeting and racist behavior of Asian people since the rise of the pandemic. And I just wanted to talk about, you know, what you think can be done to support, speak out against if you've experienced it yourself. Mm. Yeah, so thank you for bringing that up. And, you know, I I think there's just multiple parts to uh, the topic of racism when it comes to Asian communities that share some of the attributes with other types of racism or racist behaviors and the impact, but also slightly different because it is it is coming from a different cultural context or different communities. But the number one thing that, you know, I've been sitting with and I've had a chance to discuss with other people in my life, personally, professionally, is the fact that there's sort of this absence or a muted nature of how these incidents get talked about or not get talked about at all. And some of it comes from, and I'm generalizing a little bit here, but some of it comes from, you know, this sort of shared collective mentality of a lot of Asian folks who 
have been more recent immigrants, especially, of the encouraged behavior of fitting in. So in order for you to fit in, you're usually observing what other people are saying or doing, etc., and to not necessarily stand out and attract sort of, quote unquote, the wrong kind of attention, your natural inclination is to stay quieter or be more on the background, even when, you know, things like this happen. And and you may even witness it, or you may be yourself the, the victim of a situation. And so first and foremost, though, one of the things that some of my professional colleagues and I've been wanting to do in recent weeks is to simply speak up and raise awareness around the fact that these things are happening and that it cannot go unsaid or ignored. And there just been a lot of support coming from a lot of different communities standing with us to really rally around this message of stop Asian hate and and that the fact that these things are happening and that it goes ignored in itself is already another insult to the situation. And then above and beyond that, you know, something else that I've been trying to do personally and also talk about it at the business level and and with my peer groups is then what do we do tangibly to ultimately impact and bring positive impact to those who are affected right now. Um, for, for me and Rebecca, I have two girls, 11 and six, who are three quarters Korean and they're you know, American, Canadian, like by culture and on paper and all of that. But it's been really important then for me to personally also have conversations with them, um, with my husband, who is also mixed race. And so we we have a lot of kind of like personal experiences that are coming to converging in this moment. Also, when we feel this a little bit more personally. So while the girls have been, of course, really fortunate in not necessarily having personally experienced some of the hateful words or acts, I want to not shield them from what the world is and what other people may be experiencing and build some resilience around that even now. Because one of the things that I remember from my own upbringings or personal experiences when something like that happens to me or my loved ones, I was always hesitant to act or speak up. Back to kind of what I said earlier about the cultural aspect of it, but also it, it's a very visceral experience, right? When somebody comes at you with hateful words or language or, or, or action. And so my brain, my, my lizard brain is taken up by the space of, oh my gosh, what is happening to me? And I want to just survive this moment that it does not give me the capacity to show up for other people who may also be experiencing the same same thing next to me. So nothing can replace and unfortunately the experience of right someone saying or doing something to you like that. But I do want to expose my children to the realities of, you know, how contextual your belonging can be these days and for them to be able to think about that proactively and build their kind of spiritual, physical, all of the mental resilience around it to be able to show up for themselves and other people if they ever witness something like that happening, you know, to someone they know. Yeah. I think the the notion of making sure our kids are equipped with the tools to handle it is so key because the stronger they can get now, I feel like hopefully offsets the reaction, you know, growing up, 
I got shit all the time for being Jewish. And I feel like you just don't know what to do. You're just like, yeah. Uh, and now I fight back, obviously, when that yeah. happens. But had I had those tools as a as a kid, it would have made a huge difference. Yeah, I wouldn't have been ashamed to be Jewish in in a town where there totally. weren't any. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I always love to end my podcast with two questions. What is one piece of advice either you learned that you you thought was like very workable and applicable, or maybe you? You earned that advice. You you figured it out yourself that you could share with us. You know, it, it took me a long time and and many, I think, kind of cycles of learning, unlearning, doing and undoing things, meaning it took me a lot of um, time to really get to the point of view where what is it that I want for myself in my life and that may actually be very different from or unexpected or or you know unconventional from what people usually expect you to do or show up with so this still happens to me you know even to this day like when i was saying yes to this current job at visible on paper it may not have looked like a conventional next step that you know other people based on their experience and advice would have been the one to say yes to. But because I wanted to take a shot at taking the biggest chance that an opportunity for someone to give the biggest chance for me to take on, build something from ground up, it, it fit ultimately into the list of criteria that I had for myself and actually be confident in that whether this goes well or not, I would learn something from this. So, but sticking to that is hard. And, and I think over time, I've had to really constantly kind of reprioritize that list and calibrate it. But again, still come back to the, the purpose and confidence of what matters to me that may not necessarily check off the boxes of what other people think are the cool, sexy, or right jobs or the next thing to do. And so I, I would, as much as possible, you know, people out there just kind of thinking about whether they're personal or professional, you know, next steps, start with you. Like, what is it that you want to do? What is it that you want to do more of? What is it that you want to spend more of your time with? And be okay with the fact that it may not necessarily look like a list of things that other people typically tell you what you should be doing. That's awesome. I love that. And then the last question, which you might be like, why am I being asked this? But I always, <laughs> I always love that it shows a side to a woman that maybe is unexpected. But is there anything we'd be surprised to know about you? It can be funny, bad habit, whatever you like. Um, so <laughs> I'm fangirling out a little bit here, Rebecca, because 15 years ago, I had a handbag blog. <laughs> I love that. It was called The Baggage Claim. <laughs> and I kind of wish I had kept up with it, actually. Um, but on my birthday, I guess I was turning 30. On my birthday, and I was pregnant with my first daughter, my poor husband, I gave him a heads up. I was going to tell the story. Um, he, <laughs> he was a lawyer, uh, working on a case. And so he was, um, actually like living and working from New York City and we were actually in DC. So I had taken the train up to meet him in Times Square. And I remember I had bought one of your bags for myself <laughs> for my birthday. <laughs> 
<laughs> and he forgot that it was my birthday because he, I, I knew like, you know, he was like super busy. And so he's like, oh, that's a nice bag. And I was like, yes, I bought it for myself for my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> there was no shame in that. You should see what I bought myself when I signed my book deal. I was like, you know what? I'm going to have two glasses of wine and then I am buying this gift because I fucking deserve it. So that's right. No shame in that's that. That's right. Exactly. Oh, I love that you had a blog. That's as your OG. Yeah, exactly. Back in the day. Well, thank you. This has been incredibly inspiring and insightful. Do you have any links you want to shout out or any, you know, ways people can connect with you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, uh, although I said I, I edit things out from my life, I am on all the things. Uh, find me, Minjay Orms, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter. And our business, Visible, is on Visible.com. Awesome. Thank you so much, Minjay. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everybody. And don't forget to head over to RebeccaMinkoff.com. Show your love and support for the brand. Buy something for yourself. Buy something for another. And also don't forget to try my new fragrance. Again, it is available at all Nordstrom, Macy's, Scentbirds, and Birch Boxes, as well as our site.